Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Anthea Sargent. Anthea is the CEO of 2S Water and a longtime ecosystem supporter. With an MBA from Athabasca University, Anthea is a three-time entrepreneur and has more than 15 years of experience in a variety of fields. Her current project is focused around environmental stewardship and natural resource protection. 2S Water has created a sensor for real-time water quality monitoring, helping communities and industry to understand what is in their water. And now let's get started with Anthea's interview with Kim Harwood. Take it away, Anthea. Welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast. This week's episode features Kimberly Wong Harwood of VolaWorks. I'm your host, Anthea Sargent, CEO of 2S Water Incorporated. Kimberly is the co-founder of VolaWorks, a platform for all people with skills and services to list so that those around them who are searching for those skills can contact and conveniently book them online. She's also the owner and operator of Northern Peace Piano Studio, which she opened 15 years ago. There, she teaches children and adults piano, guitar, and voice lessons. So Kim, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what drove you to open your own piano studio at the same time as you were starting your bachelor's degree. That's an ambitious move, so talk us through it. I started teaching piano a long time ago. I was playing piano since I was five. I didn't officially start North Peace Piano until like I moved up to Fort St. John, which was eight years ago. But I always kind of had it as a side hustle. I taught it a very part-time on and off. And then when I moved to Alberta is when I decided to make it a full, a full-time business. So it's changed a lot since then. I went from highly part-time to very part-time, but trying to make it a full-time business to a full-time business. And now it's back to a part-time business for myself. It's, yeah, it's part-time for yourself, but you have a, a group of other teachers now that you manage as well. I right? do, yes. I have I have uh, a group of employees that I've handpicked and trained myself to the standards of my studio so that I can keep on taking those inquiries and people that are interested in putting their kids into lessons. And instead of turning them down, I thought, why not expand? So that's a, a really interesting transition because you just started out kind of selling the skill that you had and now you're managing a team of people. What's that experience been like? It's a huge learning curve. To be very honest, it hasn't been that challenging. I think I've been really blessed with having such amazing employees that barely need me to manage them. They are very self-sufficient. They're super independent and very skilled. When I I put them through a very rigorous, not just uh, interview process where I screened them and I tested them for their skills and their personalities, but I also trained them. So let's talk about that a little bit because I know hiring can be a huge challenge for businesses. How did you come up with that methodology? So I, 
I guess I started out by my first employee ever was a student of mine. Oh, okay. So you yes. had that existing relationship. Yeah. Yes. And for her, I never, I, I didn't even like, cause I just knew, I just knew that she was great for the job and like I've known her for years. So she's very responsible. She's very motivated, independent. She's the entrepreneur type. So I knew that she wasn't going to stay with me forever. She's going to move on to probably entrepreneurial type things. And she was only 18 and she just graduated from high school. Right. So she's not, I, I, I knew that she wasn't going to be my employee forever, but just having her as my first employee was like the greatest thing ever. Cause it helped me grow into things and learn things such as just like payroll and just creating a bit of a process and you know, things like that. That's a great attitude because a lot of the time you hear people very discouraged when they know that their employees are going to move on to another experience. But but you sound like that was an exciting element for you. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I had to go through a bit of a learning curve as well because I guess at first... I just knew that she was great for the job and I didn't really think about that. But now this is a, a something I gained while looking back that she wasn't going to stick around, obviously, forever. Right. And so how did you translate that initial hire into a skill set of bringing on skilled employees that were independent and could support your vision? See, that's the thing. Because she was everything that I ever needed. So I really had to think about what she had. You know what I mean? Oh, so you kind of back in reverse engineered yes. it off your first employee. Yes. I was like, okay, what does she have that I really appreciate? Write these things down. And what can I do in my interview process to see if the candidate has these things, has these qualities? Such as independence is a really hard one to test for. In, in this specific case, I asked them, has there been a time where you tried to teach someone something and te- try to teach a kid something and they didn't understand? So what did you do about that? Okay. So the reason why this question tests for independence is because it, it's basically challenging their creativity. In this job, you have to be very creative and you can't just like okay, run into a wall. If, if the kid doesn't understand something, you can't just like stop. You have to always be thinking about, oh, how else can I introduce this concept? Like, how else can I get them to show me whether they understand it or not, right? Mm-hmm. So if they came up with an answer that was like something that they made up, then I know that they can independently come up with solutions. That's a wonderful scientific method to taking your first employee and and regaining those skills. Have you always had that kind of analytical process or is that something you learned along the way? See, I feel like it's something that I've always had because I take it for granted. (laughs) And uh, it's funny because I never realized that I maybe, I like, so I used to work I used to have a job, a nine to five job, and that was great, but I never really thought that I had what it takes to be an entrepreneur until I tried it out, right? Mm -hmm. But ever since I tried it out, that's when I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I am from now on, I'm unemployable. Like, (laughs) I I don't know if I could work for someone again. That is the problem with entrepreneurship. It makes us all terribly unemployable now. It's true. So were there a lot of skills that you feel that you gathered in that nine to five job that help you now? 
Yes, I would say so. I used to be a probation officer. Oh, that's an interesting twist of careers to yes. a piano teacher. It, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it is and it isn't because I guess in my mind, I've always been these two things, right? Like always, I've always played the piano and I've always been that creative type of person. And then I just became a probation officer, right? Okay. So in my mind, it's not that weird, but I understand like... I when I tell people that actually they're like what you're a probation officer like people are always uh, very surprised to hear that but they're never surprised to hear that I teach piano and run a piano business you know <laughs> and do you see parallels between those two positions I guess in a way because in both jobs you're um you're facing um you're facing people one-on-one right mm-hmm. and you have a very high variety of different people I was an adult probation officer. My clients were people that were 18 and over. Right now, I teach kids, which most of the time I teach kids, but I also have a few adults, Mm -hmm. adult students, and also management. So when I was a probation officer, I would have a caseload of about 55, 60, um, 60 people. So I would have to manage everyone, right? Like I'd have to manage the risk. I'd have to assess them monthly at least and sometimes weekly. And so I find that comes in handy for piano teaching when I'm assessing kids, right? I'm assessing my students for, first of all, their skill level, basically what they're coming in with. If they're beginners, what's their ability like? Some people learn faster than others. I have to figure out how they learn, right? And I have to figure out how, what doesn't work, right? And I also have to, I guess, in the management of my employees, I have to somehow test their ability at the beginning to see how they can do this, which does make it very challenging because it's a lot of things to test. It's kind of insane, actually. I feel very sorry for all of them because um, (laughs) everybody that I interviewed had to go through like an hour and a half rigorous process where I tested them. Like I I asked them questions and it was probably very nerve wracking. (laughs) So is that something that you did just based on your experience being a probation officer or did you pick up like because there's various methodologies that you can use to test employees before you bring them on board are you using those methodologies or do you have your own unique methodology I would say that I from being a probation officer I learned quite a bit about interviewing because I had to take a course on motivational interviewing and that was a lot of the job that was it you know interviewing people asking them what what works for them what how how it's going seeing if they're lying trying to see if they're lying (laughs) you know and trying to get them to come up with the idea that being a part of society is better than rebelling against society, right? So it was also very systematic. So I think that having a kind of systematic thinking and process coming from that background helps me be to be systematic with my business, if that makes sense. That does make sense. That's a, a really interesting use of that skill set mm-hmm. to make your business thrive. And it seems like such an important skill to be able to identify the right teachers and the right students. That, mm-hmm. That's very interesting. 
Uh, so talk to me a little bit about VoloWorks. You've kind of gone in a, a, a different direction recently, I'm, although it's kind of parallel. So so t- start by telling us about VoloWorks and what VoloWorks is. First and foremost, I guess, it started out as an online platform for services. So for listing and for booking services. Entrepreneurs or companies that offer a service, they can put their service on VoloWorks and people can search for their service in their area. So this started because of my piano business, believe it or not, because when I moved to Alberta from BC, nobody knew of me. And I, I didn't want to be a probation officer all my life. So it was, a, it was a time of my life and I really appreciate that time. It was a stepping stone to something unknown. I didn't figure out that I wanted to start a piano business until I was like, hey, let's take an inventory of what I can do. I can go back to school for marketing. I can go back to school for this. I can do this. I can maybe go back to school for music therapy. I can teach piano. Hey, I can teach piano. (laughs) I'm fully certified. I mean, I've been doing it, so why not take it further? Mm -hmm. And great, great idea. I could teach piano in Spruce Grove. However, nobody knew of me and the town was filled with little kids and young families, so I knew that there was a demand. So I, I searched long and hard for ways to get out there and I did things from... Okay, I looked online for ways and there is nothing really that seemed that effective and the ones that I, some other ones were, I thought were crazy expensive for a person starting out a business that had no income back then, right? Mm -hmm. And I also had to get creative, like around Halloween, I went out to the different corners of my neighborhood and then I put up a really cute sign with my information, it looked like a keyboard on the bottom with my information on it. Like, you know those ones with tabs that you rip off? That you just tear away, yeah. Yes, like those ones. A really old school method of advertising. Very there. old school, yeah. but hey, I was desperate, right? I, yeah. I'm like, what What do I do? How do I get out there, mm-hmm. right? And I networked with all of the uh, music teachers and uh, I re- reached out to other piano teachers in the area. Mm-hmm. Just to see like what the scene was like, right? I even I even asked what everyone was charging, just to like <laughs> yeah, just to see what what the what the climate was like there, right? So I did all of those things, and I was like, with all the technology that we have available these days, there you, you shouldn't have to climb a freaking mountain to get your bis- your your service known to people that are looking for you. There's a linear correlation between the number of kids in a town and the demand for piano lessons. So the more kids in the town, the higher the demand for piano lessons, period. Yeah. Okay. The fewer kids, the less demand there is. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like how there is a linear correlation between how much a bartender is going to make any given club and the number of like the number of people that go to the club. Okay, if it's packed, everyone's going to make a lot of money. If it's dead, nobody's going to make money. So it's like that, but in the piano teacher or in the piano business world. So you knew the market was there, but you couldn't access it. Yes. And that was very frustrating. And so I started talking to my business partner, who's also my husband. And we were just, 
we, we were just just like scheming about this, like trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we didn't come up with this until we went on a road trip. My family is from BC and we make a road trip once a year across the Rockies. And we were like, hey, what happens if our car breaks down in the middle of the Rockies right now? And then he's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe there's people around here, like anybody that lives around here that could help us fix it. And then I was like, well, yeah, but how do we find them? You know, wouldn't it be cool if there was an app where you could just look up any service you wanted and there's people around there that could provide the service? Maybe they don't do it full time. Maybe they just have some tools and they could do it for money on a side hustle. Right. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's probably an app for that. There's, there's got to be. For everything, yeah. Right? It's so simple. <laughs> and then so when we got when we got to my parents house, we like looked and we looked and looked and looked for this app and there wasn't one. So we're like, why don't we make this app? Mm-hmm. Right. Did either of you guys have app making experience at all? Zero. He's from the oil field. He's worked there since he's worked in the oil field since I think he was 16 or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, zero tech experience besides just regular computer skills. I would argue that he has more computer skills than me because I think he grew up in a time where they had to work with MS-DOS and whatever else. I didn't. Right. right. I just like started the computer and it ran. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But still not a, not a ton. Nothing. Yeah. Zero. And I just had an art, artistic background. Mm-hmm. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and Sociology and mm-hmm. an ARCT in, in, from the Royal Conservatory of Music in piano. So that's our background. None of that good for making apps. No. Yeah. no. <laughs> so what did you do now that you had the idea and you didn't have the skill set? What was your next step? So our next step was to look for someone that could make an app. Mm-hmm. So we looked... I guess we searched for local companies as well as international companies. Mm-hmm. So the the company that we use is uh, Backbone Technologies in Vancouver. Okay, so you Backbone ended up going with oh, someone on the coast but still in Canada. Yes, yeah. we ended up going with them and they've been like nothing but amazing. And it's interesting because, yeah, we did have interviews with all of them. We based it on our, let's see, what did we base it on? We based it on a lot on intuition, actually, and how we felt about, okay, actually, a lot of it was how they felt, how we felt they felt about our project. About the project. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Because of the possibility of, of like, bringing them on as uh, partners in the future, and how likely they were to stick around and provide good customer service once the project was done, like once the development is done, how if a company just wants your business because they just want the money, they just want your money, then they're not going to be very helpful. And because we have no technology background, we kind of need a partner-like relationship with our developers. Right. Right. We need a tech team. So once again, those interviewing skills came in handy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, definitely. We looked at a lot of them in North America, mm-hmm. right? And then I, I don't remember how, much, how many we ended up interviewing, 10 or so, 10, 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then you, you built out your platform, but I know VoloWorks has taken some, some changes over the, uh, mm-hmm. the development. So yeah. you, you very much started out as kind of a, a peer-to-peer gateway and you've kind of taken a transition since then, haven't you? Yes. 
since the birth of Volo, we, oh man, <laughs> what we started out, out with and what we wanted for the beginning is not what we, it's very different now. So what we wanted at first was an app, right? Mm -hmm. We wanted to start with an app. Our web developers, they wisely, okay, so they advised us that it would be better to start out not as an app, but with, with like a website and make the website really mobile friendly. And then from then they could make it into an app when there is a demand for an app. Right. That makes sense. Right. So mm -hmm. as of right now, it is, uh, it is a website. The app is something that we want to do in maybe phase three. Yeah. So we went from wanting an app to wanting, I guess, going along with the, the advice of our web developers. Mm -hmm. And then we tried a lot of different that. Wow. Like we tried a lot of different marketing things and we okay so in a nutshell <laughs> the latest this is the latest pivot okay mm -hmm. we've decided that we want to combine social media marketing with our model because uh, up until now it's been a listing site okay so you would go on uh, as an entrepreneur with a service to offer, you'd go on and list your service, okay? And then people could contact you if they're searching for your service on our site, okay? Now, if people don't know of the site, we have, we've had this chicken and the egg problem for a long time, right? Like how do people know Volo? How do they know to search VoloWorks? And if people, if it's not out there in the mainstream, how do we find entrepreneurs to put their services there, right? Right. But now with our new pivot, it's actually, it's actually, we think it's solved this problem, this problem, this chicken and egg problem, because now instead of just a listing site, we will make, create targeted ads to um, your prospective clients in your area and we will drive people to to your profile so instead of people just going on to voloworks and searching we're finding those people for you there are other listing sites where people basically have to know of them in order to find anything on the site mm -hmm. right but we're taking it a step further we're taking it to the next level that's great so so you've pivoted a lot of times and now you've hopefully found the, the niche you can be in yes we hope that we've found it's you know like as an entrepreneur and if you come up with something either a product or a service you have to find the product market fit and we are hoping that this is it great yeah so far we've the people that we've talked to have given us really great feedback on it and they've been really excited and they've all been like hey when is this go like let us know but yeah it's already technologically launched that's great so if you want to go check it out it is live and launched now yes go, go to volo volo.works right yes great let's talk a little bit about the rainforest and how that community has been a part of your entrepreneurial journey okay so how has it been a part of your entrepreneurial journey? So it's been really, it's been really cool to attend the meetings. I go to the Wednesday meetings. I try to make it to them. And it, it's been really cool to like meet other entrepreneurs as well as service providers and just people in the ecosystem and just like find out what everyone needs and what skills everyone has as well as 
like how to connect people with other people that you know and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. I know you had the opportunity to present at a rainforest. That's actually where I first met you. Ah, yes. So um, how was that experience sharing your story with the community? That was really neat. I mean, I've attended those meetings, but I never thought I'd present. Okay. So I always thought that was for the really seasoned entrepreneurs, for the ones that have had like years and years of experience and have had like multi-million dollar companies successful already many times over. And me coming in with uh, something that I launched and with my business partner and we weren't even out of the red. Right. And so, I mean, I had to be convinced to do it. Oh, I'm glad you did, because I think it's important for us to all to hear the other side of the story, too. You hear too much of people who are who are done their journey and who are on the other side. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hard to feel that connection to those of us who are still in the red. It's, it's true. <laughs> uh, I was told, hey, if you're an emerging, you're an emerging entrepreneur, like you're you just started. So it's good to hear your journey because from the very highly successful entrepreneurs that have been doing this for many years and are serial entrepreneurs, they don't often remember what it was like to start out. And so the fact that I could share my journey and we have had a lot of learning, like we've had a lot of lessons along these past couple of years that we've had Voloworks, right? And just to learn, just to like share those things with people it helps maybe give them a little bit of guidance along their way because they might be going through the same thing. And then if they hear about like our mistakes, like not to do something or this didn't work out, then they might steer away from that. And then they might not make that mistake. And if I share what's worked, then if they're going through the same, they might, it might interest them to explore that avenue. Hmm. So is there one piece of advice maybe that you told the rainforest that you could tell us here today that my listeners could take away and apply to their business? So one thing that has really resonated with me was something that I learned from Deborah Gregg, who is the CEO, uh, co-CEO of Transformana. She runs masterminds for us tech CEOs once a week on Wednesdays, right before rainforest, actually at the same location, the Amber Cafe. And it was that you are enough for your business. It is your business and your business is an extension of yourself. So you better know yourself. And if you don't, you better dig. Cause that was a huge revelation for me because I always thought, Hey, I don't have a background in this. I'm interested in this. I'm interested in this tech business. However, I, I don't know anything and I don't have a degree in marketing or anything like that. But there are some CEO responsibilities that you can't offload onto quote unquote professionals. And we had to learn this partially the hard way. Listening to advice is one thing and then applying it is another, Mm -hmm. right? But now I know that you shouldn't offload things like, for example, even like marketing before you know exactly what your market is and who your customer is. Because... The marketers are great. They have the tools, but they don't know your business like you do as a CEO. And only you have that like forward moving insight on where you want your company to be. Great. I think that's a a wonderful piece of advice for, for everyone to take home from this. 
Well, I really want to thank you, Kim, for coming out and talking to us about Volo Works today. It's been a, a great to learn about your business. So this has been Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast. Check us out next week for our next episode. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is sponsored by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story, and Capturing Legacies is here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com for more information. The audio for this episode was professionally edited by Kate Day with KD Sound Design. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.